This week's podcast is sponsored by the book Glory Lost and Found, How Delta Climbed from Despair to Dominance in the Post-9-11 Era. It's Delta's inspirational turnaround story, written by the editors of Airline Weekly, lively and informative, just like this podcast. Available in hardcover, paperback, Kindle, and audiobook formats. Hop on Amazon.com and search Delta Book. About a year ago, Alaska Airlines took the plunge and agreed to buy Virgin America, snatching it away from JetBlue, who was looking to enhance its West Coast presence. So far, as we wrote in a cover story in Airline Weekly last week, the merger seems to be going well. Alaska reports that it's finding more synergies than expected, and some of the big decisions have been made. In short, things are beginning to take shape, and I thought we should start the show with an update on what's probably the biggest airline story in America right now. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly, and joining me is the swashbuckling Seth Kaplan, Managing Partner of Airline Weekly. In addition to Alaska Airlines, we'll talk about Norwegian's new routes, Virgin Atlantic's successes and challenges, and Cathay Pacific reported, eesh, an annual loss. That's bad news. The good news? The Airline Weekly Lounge is open. Thanks for joining us. In a recent issue of Airline Weekly, we ran a cover story looking at the progress on the integration of Alaska Airlines and Virgin America. Things appear to be going remarkably well. Seth, where are they in the process and how are things going? Well, yeah, you said it, Jason. Well, uh, you know, th- this is an airline that organically had done all the things, everything right over the past decade or so, had emerged as, oh, uh, just about the most profitable airline in the world in terms of its uh, its operating margin, you know, sometimes Allegiant, Ryanair uh, 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 on top of it, but uh, not many, you know, right right up there at the, uh, the top of the uh, global ranking. Uh, as I said, did that all organically? The big question was, uh, you, you know, if you took this most profitable uh, airline, Line, uh, and bought the least profitable airline in America most quarters. Um, you know how how would that work out? Uh, and and so far so good. Um, you know they uh, it's early days obviously, but um, uh, yeah. If you just look at things so far, they uh, really seem to be uh, taking everything that did work about Virgin. Because to be clear, there was a lot that Virgin did right. Uh, certainly a very well liked airline. Um, but uh, you know keeping what it should keep, uh, making the changes where it uh, needs to make the changes. And uh, yeah, uh, one of those where the, you know, the, the it sounds trite when companies say it, you know, whole grow, greater than the sum of its parts, you know, one plus one equals three, uh, call it what you will, but where uh, that uh, so far anyway, uh, l- looks likely to be the case. We wrote in Airline Weekly that Alaska is saying the synergies are now expected to be better than originally expected. Do you have any particulars regarding how the combined carriers are going to save on costs? And I do mean costs. 
Yeah, and and on the cost side, they're they're talking now maybe sixty million dollars annually. They, they were originally saying fifty million. Uh, so you know, I mean, a lot of that is is of course elimination of of duplicate overhead. You know, you're, they're, they're, you know, Virgin America's headquarters is not going to be there anymore. For example, I mean, that's that's the the most basic thing of all. Um, but also, and this is where you can really already see them with the route announcements taking advantage. You know, they're they're going to make much more productive use of. Uh, of things like gates at airports where, you know, you put the two together and all of a sudden, uh, even in airports, you know, with, with some capacity constraints, all of a sudden you could do more um, just by kind of shifting things around. Uh, same, of course, uh, with uh, with aircraft. Uh, it's also a bigger company. So, you know, they're just going to have more purchasing power whenever they buy anything, you know, whether it's uh, you know, stuff that's core to the operation. I mentioned aircraft, that sort of thing, or, you know, going out and buying pens, pencils, and paper. Um, you know, they're a bigger company. And so some of that's just always going to come uh, whenever you put two companies together. And so, uh, yeah, add it all up. And, uh, uh, you know, even though the cost synergies aren't the main argument uh, for doing this merger or, or really any airline merger, uh, they are uh, indeed significant. And I presume the revenue synergies are the main argument? <laughs> exactly. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're talking now maybe uh, $240 million a year. They had been saying uh, 175 million. But by the way, Jason, I'm talking all this on a what you call a run rate basis. I mean, just you know, once once everything's all put together. Uh, to be very clear, they have some one-time costs right now uh, associated with um, with putting the airlines together. I mean, we're talking close to half a billion dollars in costs before uh, um, before you, you start you start realizing the um, the, the benefits. But um, but yeah, you know uh, you know if, if you have to spend several hundred million dollars once to you know, to get three hundred million dollars a year back uh, in perpetuity, which is which is what they're thinking at this point. Uh, you know that that's a uh, that that's a very good deal. Uh, you know, I I mentioned you know aircraft or you know, gates, for example, as as an opportunity to save on cost, uh, but that also does. Uh, generate revenue synergies um, when you can just do so much more with the assets. You know, Virgin in particular. I mean, there were some things that worked, but you know, there there was you could see them doing some things um, with their with their aircraft with their network. Uh, just because in some cases they were just kind of out of ideas. You know, they had these uh, these two hubs really, Los Angeles, San Francisco, where you know where things worked reasonably well. It was hard to make anything work away from those two places. And uh, and yeah, sometimes you would just see them getting into something. It just kind of seemed to be because they didn't know what else to do. Uh, whereas Alaska now uh, with this combined company. Uh, with with uh, you know these yeah hubs at uh, Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, Los Angeles, right there. Lots of opportunities to move things around and do the most optimal thing. And look, you know, I mean, for one thing, you know, one competitor is no longer competing, so that that right there always uh, accounts for some revenue synergies. That, of course, is a, is a benefit also to Alaska's competitors, not just to Alaska itself. Competitors, including, as you mentioned, JetBlue. No, they didn't. Uh, they didn't get their hands on a lot of Virgin America, but they did benefit from uh, this this uh, you know rationalization really of, of, of the industry from uh, from their perspective. But um, uh, but yeah, you know, and and, and a lot of it is um, even just uh, with all of those aircraft just putting the right aircraft in the right places you know when you were just virgin america it was okay do i put a, a 319 or a 320 on, on, on a particular route um whereas now alaska can say hey let, let's put one of our 737-900 er's uh which are larger than than virgin's largest aircraft uh, previously let's let's put one of those on a on a transcontinental route uh you know from from 
the you know Los Angeles to New York, and uh, instead let's take that Airbus and um, put it on a north-south route up and down the West Coast where it is more uh, optimally deployed. So uh, just just all kinds of opportunities to do things that the the two airlines could not do separately. Uh, I, I should mention by the way, uh, you know, uh, loyalty program. That that's that's an area where they they are very optimistic about synergies as well. Speaking of that, we mentioned in the cover story that investors are quote increasingly recognizing the value of U.S. airline loyalty programs. That sounds rather obvious to me. I I don't know much about airlines, but I do know, <laughs> know that frequent flyer plans are valuable and have been for some time now. Can you translate that statement for me? Well, look, uh, it, uh, to be a little more specific, I mentioned that they see it as, as an opportunity for synergies. Uh, you know, they say that on the Alaska side, uh, mileage plan has been, as, as it's called, as their loyalty program is called, has been spitting off $800 million a year in free cash flow. So, you know, that's a lot of money, um, you know. This is a higher margin business than than flying itself, even for a rather profitable airline. Uh, they say it's going to grow to nine hundred million. By the way, for uh, uh, for the uh, the merged company, uh, you know, and there are, there are equity analysts uh, um, who say, you know, airlines if they disclosed more about there is one in particular an equity analyst who says you know if airlines disclosed more about the uh, about just how much these loyalty programs are generating, investors could understand even more, um, and you know maybe the companies are worth. Um, are worth even uh, uh, even even more than uh, than they are as a whole right now. With those figures not generally broken out, Bloomberg r- uh, ran a story about that uh, last week. A, a a good story. I would say that even if they hadn't quoted me in that story. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, anyway, so yeah, uh, you know the, these are the golden geese. Uh, they have been for some time, but certainly with with these uh, these mergers in particular, it seems to really sort of supercharged the value of of these programs. It uh, and 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 just to be clear, and if that's a whole it's a whole long interesting discussion in its own right how those programs work. But you know, uh, generally speaking, you know we call them loyalty programs, um, but that's. It's sort of imprecise these days. I mean, they do, yes, help uh, keep passengers loyal to an airline. Um, but when they were really just loyalty programs, they were cost centers. You know, this they were a way airlines said, hey, you know what, we'll have to give out, give away a few free flights once in a while, but that'll keep people flying the airline. Um, now, as I mentioned, they are profit centers in their own right. And air, and, and, and that's because airlines sell, well, collectively for, for, uh, for the industry, you know, many billions of dollars worth of miles uh, to partners in these programs. You know, when you have a co-brand new credit card, every time you swipe that card, uh, you know, a small percentage of that purchase ends up in the pocket of uh, of the airline whose whose uh, uh, whose logo adorns that card. Uh, you know, when you stay at a hotel and end up with airline miles, rent a car, send flowers, whatever it is, um, those are all companies that are purchasing miles a few cents at a time, uh, but add it all up, and and it's and it's huge money. Here again is where where uh, you know mergers have really, as I said, supercharged profits of, of the industry, but specifically in this regard. You know, it, it a lot of it is just a question of how many chairs are left when the music stops playing. And for example, with those um, credit cards, co-branded credit cards, which are the the most profitable part of of these programs, um, you know, there are and there have been there's been some consolidation in banking too, but there are still plenty of banks out there, and there are fewer airlines. And uh, you know, for banks, sometimes these cards are the most 
profitable thing that the bank does uh you know and when you only have those three giant airlines now american united delta you know giant southwest as well uh, very large alaska JetBlue, and so forth fewer airlines than you used to have there's no northwest there's no continental there's no you know u.s airways airtran i mean on and on basically uh these these banks have to pay up more uh, they have to offer sweeter deals uh, to to these airlines uh, to become their partners, not just the banks. By the way, and I'll stop soon here. I'm, I'm, I'm I gotta. You can tell this is an interesting topic. You're, you're but, passionate. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, no. Well, and and then there there's just all these new revenue streams. I mean, for one thing, you know, it, it used to be if you had a a. I mean, and and this is I'm talking just just the co-brand piece, and there it's and you could do this for so many other areas of the business, but. You know, if if you got a credit card with American Airlines a few years ago, I mean, it would have been issued by Citibank. Um, it might have been a Mastercard, a Visa, or an American Express. Well, now those card associations, as they're known, card networks—they're called nowadays. Um, Visa, Master, and American Express—they too are, in many cases, exclusive with an airline. Um, so, uh, you know, American Express is exclusive with Delta, Visa exclusive with United. Well, guess what? When American was up for grabs, uh, you know, these deals are confidential, but you can bet. Uh, that um, that Mastercard made it well worth American's rival to uh, to make Mastercard the exclusive uh, card network uh, with American, which in fact uh, it is now. So that's something that you know didn't exist too many years ago for most airlines, and now you have not only the banks but the the networks, presumably anyway. You know, paying up big time to have those uh, to have those exclusive deals. So uh, yeah, so it's 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 this whole giant profitable business within these airlines. Alaska has revealed quite a bit about its product intentions. They are losing the Virgin brand, of course, and they're not going to do a lie flat product to match JetBlue's mint. This seems maybe counterintuitive because one of the recent challenges for Virgin America was that it wasn't keeping pace in the premium offerings. Is this smart? You know, Jason, I think it's very smart, um, and it surprised me. Um, I, I think you and I talked, uh, if I recall correctly, back uh, you know back when you know, the merger was first announced about the product, and and uh, you know, if I recall correctly, I said to you, um, in terms of Virgin's product, they're going to have to do something. They're either going you know because you know Virgin's product was kind of the worst of all worlds. It was a rather expensive product because it's a you know it's it, it was a recliner seat, a rather nice product. Best in the industry a decade ago, um, you know, in terms of transcontinental flying, um, but you know, took up a lot of real estate. But now, uncompetitive with uh, you mentioned Mint, you know, lie flat products also at uh, Delta, American, and United. So I said, look, they're either going to have to do that, and if they do that, they're going to have to have a sub fleet of aircraft because uh, they're not going to fly lie flat seats up and down the West Coast. Uh, which you know, that was part of the problem. Many among the many problems with Virgin, it was that they had this, you know, yeah, in at what had become an inadequate product on longer haul flights. Um, but they were over delivering on short haul flights because they that was on their whole fleet. So they're you know they're they're they're. Uh, you know, offering this this first class product um, with you know not lie flat, but nearly so. Uh, you know, from Los Angeles to San Francisco, obviously, you you, know, you just can't get people to really pay um, uh, anything that's attractive from the airline's perspective to do that. So anyway, you know, Alaska, there was no question that they were um, not going to offer anything like that on short haul routes. But were they going to have the sub fleet? Were they going to try to compete in the lie flat space? I sort of thought, you know what, it would be interesting if they just said, no, you know what, we're not going to try to be everything to everybody. You know, we will concede that, yes, when George Clooney flies from Los Angeles to New York, he's not going to fly our airline, but just have a rather nice, but just sort of the, the standard short haul first class offering. And uh, 
I didn't think they'd do that. I mean, I I, I, I kind of thought that they would say, nah, if you're going to play in that game, you got to have the life lap. But um, no, sure enough, they've said, you know what? That's not what we're going to have. Uh, we're going to have just, you know, just, just that nice, the, the, the typical U.S. domestic first-class offering. Um, and basically, anybody who wants a life lap seat, there are, you know, four other airlines offering that uh, on the, the transcontinental markets. Um, I, th- it, I mean, it, it, it very clearly is helpful on, on cost. Um, it just gives them a lot of, you know, when you're, when you're trying to rotate aircraft through and, and uh, you know, watching your utilization and everything, you know, when you're able to take that aircraft that comes in from Seattle to Los Angeles and send it to New York, because that's, that's what makes sense in terms of your schedule. Um, there's a lot of benefit to that, and um, and 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 I think there's a market. Um, there, you know, there are people out there who want something more than economy. You know, but but just can't afford uh, the the live flat fares. There, there might be some. I mean, one thing we'll have to watch. There might be some confusion among uh, among the flying public where you know uh, if you if if what you want is a live flat seat, and if you're in and you know, as is always the case, this is going to be more people booking through third parties if it's not very clear to them. You know, and if they see, oh, you know, here are all these other airlines that are very expensive, and here's Alaska, much cheaper with a with a with a first class seat. Well, yeah, it's much cheaper because it's not the same thing. You know, it should be cheaper. So, uh, you know, so 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 that'll just be something that'll that'll be out there. People will have to will have to realize that that um you know vastly different premium product in in certain markets. I'm talking mainly, you know, New York. To San Francisco, Los Angeles, a few markets where, where, where live flat products are very prevalent. Um, so that'll be out there. But um, but yeah, no, it's it, I did not expect it. Um, I I think it's smart, and just generally speaking, this is not an airline that you would uh, generally bet against. They've they've um, they've been right more than they've been wrong. Speaking of rotating aircraft, one decision Alaska hasn't made is whether to keep Virgin's Airbus fleet or replace it with Boeing 737s in accordance with Alaska's fleet. Whatever they decide, is keeping two fleet types a realistic possibility? It is. You know, I I think we all sort of got conditioned at some point to think that uh, the worst thing an airline could ever do was, uh, you know, was have have too many fleet types. And uh, and, uh, look, I mean... Sure, Southwest became, uh, you know, for for decades the most successful airline in the history of the world by keeping things simple and having, and having one fleet type. Um, uh, you know, although it really now has multiple fleet types with, uh, um, you know, various various generations of 737s and so forth. But uh, but you know, that said, yeah, you know, st- still still all Boeings and so forth. And then there there are many airlines that do it that way. Most low low cost carriers do right. If you think about, uh, you know, EasyJet, Ryanair, you know. Spirit, whoever you want to name, yeah. So, so here they are. You know, um, you know this airline that has at this point, yeah, multiple uh, of the, you know, Boeing, Airbus, not to mention Embraer Air, and and so forth. Uh, and that's uh, to speak nothing of Horizon's fleet. So, on one hand, sure, all things be equal, it's be, it, it, you know, you you you'd like to just have one of the two in terms of Airbus and Boeing, perhaps. On the other hand, the bigger you are, that less that matters, right? So, if you had, you know, if you have an airline with ten aircraft. And it's and it has five of each. Um, that's a really big problem. That's really inefficient, you know, because you're just going to have a lot of mechanics sitting around doing nothing while the you know while the wrong aircraft is there waiting to be serviced and so forth. When you're talking about an airplane, an airline rather with hundreds of aircraft, you have scale with 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 each uh, with each side. So uh, so you know even the Virgin, how many? Uh, uh, Check quickly on uh, CH Aviation um, Virgin. I should have done this before, but uh, while we're talking, uh, so how many do they have? Da, da, da. 
So uh, yeah, so so uh, you know, sixty three a three nineteens and mostly three uh, twenties as of now, right? So that that's not a that's that's not this you know inefficient fleet of of you know five or ten aircraft that that Alaska has to deal with. But basically, um, you know, it's going to come down to this. Um, so on one hand, yeah, optimally, you you might like to have all of one because it's more efficient. Um, you might get better pricing, you know, when you're just buying more aircraft of of, of of you know from one manufacturer um you might get a preferential deal by by saying that you're going to be exclusive with with uh with one manufacturer on the other hand um if we look at an airline like like delta and and, and certainly not not only delta um but they're one who you know delta itself was was a boeing airline you know when it merged with northwest uh, it found itself all of a sudden with a bunch of air airbus and then the, you know there was this question okay well is it just going to kind of you know over the years phase those out or or will it be willing to 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 buy from both manufacturers and delta um seems to have been very happy um really being able to play both manufacturers off against each other in every negotiation when it's buying aircraft you know it, ha- it has credibility now when it says to boeing you know if you don't give us the right deal we're going to buy airbus because because you know, it does that um and when 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 it gets a better deal there um whereas you know if southwest says to boeing you know if we don't get the right deal on this aircraft we're going to buy airbus does boeing really believe southwest i, I mean give southwest a really good deal i'm sure because of what, what a good customer southwest is but um but it doesn't have that kind of credibility that kind of leverage um so you know it, it, arguably when you have a whole lot of aircraft there can be benefits to uh to having both so so i believe them when they say that uh that they haven't you know they, they say they haven't made that decision um i don't think that's a uh a foregone conclusion i i, I think it's it's possible that they uh will will stick with both manufacturers um even though if there's any airbus in the, if there's any uh airline rather in the world that uh that might be expected to stick uh stick with boeing it would be the one that's uh, uh of course headquartered in in uh, the same place that boeing although not technically headquartered in seattle boeing technically headquartered in chicago but uh but but very much a a, a seattle area company It's hard to believe that just a few years ago, airline mergers were considered a dicey proposition. That seems to be both wildly wrong now and downright quaint. And I guess my last question on this segment is, what were we thinking? Well, we were thinking Pan Am National, right? American TWA. You know, I mean, it, 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 the history wasn't good of of, uh, of airline merger. There had been exceptions. You know, Delta Western uh, went went pretty well, for example. But but yeah, you know it, that 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 was the history. Um, is that at best, uh, you know, mergers um, maybe ended up helping everybody except the airlines that were doing the merging, right? Because because uh, you know at least the you know the industry consolidated a bit. There's one less competitor, but. Uh, but yeah, and and really, I mentioned the American TWA. That was kind of the last in, in that round, uh, shortly before nine eleven. Um, you know, American spent a lot of money acquiring a, a, a troubled airline, and um, you know, by a few years later, it was hard. It was really hard to see what what was left of what it had uh, had bought. Um, but you know, then you had U.S. Airways America West, which I know, you know, in terms of the flying public, uh, you know, the, those. That merger might 
kind of conjure memories of uh, you know a, 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 a lot of messy stuff. You know, putting the airlines together, the integration was a mess operationally. There was a lot that was wrong with it. Uh, it, it was financially brilliant, and it probably saved both airlines. Um, it uh, U.S. Airways was you know was was bankrupt for a second time. Was was very close to liquidating. It it, it almost certainly would have been gone, and, and America West likely would have been gone um, a, another year or so later had that not happened. So it saved two airlines and uh, uh, ended up becoming a very influential company. I mean, you know, American Airlines today, by by uh, many measures, the world's largest airline is is basically America West. <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, you know in terms of in terms of who's who's been running it. You know, so so uh, that went well. Um, Delta Northwest went very well. Um, United Continental uh, shakier, no question, uh, in, in terms of the. Uh, the, the the integration, but uh, but you know it's something where you you, know, you you can't say that the merger was was uh, was a bad idea or that they would have been better off not merging. Um, it just it's just gone less well, you know, than the others. Um, uh, American U.S. Airways so far has been uh, has been very successful, a very smooth integration. Um, you know, they 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 got it right, kind of learned learned the right lessons about what what not to do, uh, putting you know reservation systems together and so forth with uh, United Continental. What to do from Delta Northwest mostly. And so yeah, no, it 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 uh, you know people who were skeptical of mergers had had every reason to be based on uh, based on the history. But with these, um, the, you know, uh, I'll go back to something we talked about earlier. Um, with 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 Alaska, we talked about how this is more about revenue synergies than cost synergies, and and, and I think that's an important thing to understand. And, and and I don't think that was necessarily clear to everybody. Um, you know, a little more than a decade ago. Uh, you know, if you think you're merging energy airlines for cost synergies, you're probably going to be disappointed because actually, um, although yeah, there's we we talked about you know, eliminating duplicate overhead and and um, you know doing some things more efficiently, um, you know, you're also going to often end up paying people more. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of offsetting uh, cost increases. You know, when you put the labor groups together and so forth, uh, that that's happening. In fact, Virgin America, the Virgin America's employees, generally speaking, are going to be getting raises up to Alaska uh, standards. So, um, so basically, you have to accept all that and say, okay, where are the revenue synergies? Um, and uh, and that with with all of these recent mergers. Um, has has really been uh, the story. I should mention Southwest AirTran too, another one, uh, probably one where we look at it uh, the uh, one of the less successful uh, of the recent mergers, and and one where sort of going back to what I said that in the old days the airline mergers were uh, you know a lot of times the the merger was great for everybody except the airlines actually doing the merging. Um, I think it was very positive for the rest of the industry. AirTran was this nettlesome, very low cost competitor that everybody had to contend with. You know, Southwest is the airline that had to pay for that and integrate it. Um, not the smoothest or certainly quickest integration. Um, and there too, you kind of look at it and you're like, well, what would they get? You know, they, they, they wanted Atlanta. Okay. But that, that didn't really work. Um, and, and so forth. Um, they, they stopped doing a lot of what AirTran had been doing, but, um, but having said that Southwest is doing fine. Right. So, uh, yeah, no, that's the, that's the uh, that's the new paradigm. Is that mergers are uh, are are uh, very often worth doing. All right, moving on from the merger, but staying in Seattle, Norwegian has announced nonstop flights between Seattle and London Gatwick and Denver and London Gatwick. Notice I said London and not Oslo, Stockholm, or Copenhagen. And that's interesting because. Norwegian at first, when they would open in one one of these uh, one of these markets in, in the U.S., they would start with the Scandinavian capitals um, and, and and sort of develop the market with that, uh, often with all three or with two of the three. And then once that was going, then they would say, "All right, let's try London." 
And now here we see with these um, most recent markets, they skipped the uh, they, they skipped the Scandinavian capitals uh, entirely and started with London. Uh, and you know, I, I mean, you'd have to think that that indicates that um, that uh, London, if anything, has maybe been going. Well, at least relatively speaking, it's been, it's been doing better than the uh, than the other markets. Uh, they, of course, are going in as well to uh, in some cases to, to Barcelona and to to Paris, and and we'll see how those go. Um, but uh, you know, London is the the highest volume market. I mean, it, it's 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 far bigger from anywhere in the U.S. There is far more demand uh, to London than there is to uh, really anywhere else in Europe, uh, even Paris, certainly uh, Oslo, Stockholm, Copenhagen. Um, it's uh, yeah. Look, it, it, when you when you're a low cost airline, it, it's it tends to be very much a volume based business. So even though it's also a more competitive market, um, because you know, because obviously you're not going to have as many airlines flying from. Uh, I mean, look with in the case of Seattle. You're up against Virgin Atlantic. Uh, if you want to fly, you know, flying to London. If you want to fly from Seattle to Oslo, you can have that market to yourself. But, um, but yeah, just a huge difference in in uh, market size there. So yeah, um, if you, I think this is the clearest example yet with them announcing these two new cities uh, only to London. But also, if you look at some other indicators, you know, I went into just looking into Do uh, schedule data, and you know, quietly look, they've they've built. Uh, Los Angeles, London. It's LAX to London Gatwick up to daily service. JFK, uh, London is is daily service. Now in both of those places, they fly uh, to the other capitals, um, but 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 not nearly uh, daily. Uh, Oakland, uh, London is up to what uh, four a week, whereas it's basically two a week to the other market. So um, at, at most, uh, in some cases, uh, just just uh, weekly. So uh, so yeah, that that seems to indicate that um, they. I don't know whether they've struck gold in London or whether it's merely uh, you know they're going relatively well. We're talking about an airline as we've discussed in previous episodes that's uh you know it's not all that profitable um but uh london seems to be working um despite being more competitive than the other markets um seems to be working uh better than the others uh thanks to uh, certainly not the low costs of uh, serving that market but um just just the uh the demand that that always exists there you can always stimulate demand you can always fill a flight uh, to London, whereas and maybe not so much, uh, particularly in the winter to, uh, let's say, Oslo. Let's travel a couple miles from Gatwick over to a town called Crawley, where Virgin Atlantic is headquartered. That airline reported earnings a couple weeks ago, and for a third year in a row, they made an annual profit. Not bad, but we don't have their operating margin, do we? So what do we know about how they're doing? Yeah, uh, they are, are, are a private airline, uh, nearly half owned by by delta of course now um but yeah they they um they they don't release their their full uh, financial statement so we can't do the same kind of analysis uh that we do for some of the other airlines um but we know they earned about 30 million dollars uh um last year good for a one percent pre-tax margin so uh the equivalent and again hard to say because we don't know their their operating profit but generally that number is going to be just a little lower uh, more often than not, for for airlines where you could look at both, uh, then then it would be uh, for the operating margin. So you, you might expect that operating margin perhaps a bit higher than that. So this, so this is an airline that, um, as has been the case in recent years, breaking even, earning a small profit, but uh, but not doing uh, uh, not doing not a wildly uh, profitable airline still uh, in in a uh, you know in a tough marketplace. Are things getting better or worse? 
Well, you know, this year looks like it's going to be um, tough. I mean, look, they're exposed, obviously, to uh, to all of the questions about Brexit. Um, they're exposed to the uh, to the weak pound. Um, you know, really getting. I was just going to say getting pounded on currency. You know, uh, get, uh, you know, getting hit hard um, with with uh, with currency. I mean, you know, when when you are uh, trading in a weak home currency. Particularly in a market like that, where generally speaking, the and I should say a minute ago we were talking about uh, Norwegian. I was talking about demand to London from the U.S. I mean, look, uh, the, you know, the only reason we're even talking in those terms is, is is so much is because the pound is weak, and now the 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 demand the the directionality is different uh, from 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 what it normally would be. Normally speaking, um, the demand is more from London to go abroad than uh, than vice versa. Sort of like a I mean, depending on what you're talking about, I mean, we're a two-thirds, one-third kind of uh, kind of market, um, and part of it is that that uh, the British have just typically had very good spending power. Um, that is less true now. Um, now the weak pound is helpful in terms of inbound traffic, but um, uh, you know, it hurts outbound traffic, which has been the bigger business. Um, and then it also really kills an airline on on costs. Uh, you know, when you're a British airline now. If you're just out there looking at the, you know, what's happening with oil prices in U.S. dollar terms, uh, that's not what's happening in in uh, in in in, uh, in sterling terms. And so, uh, so yes, yeah, so, so Virgin has uh, has suffered from that. And uh, yeah, we know all the uh, competitive issues. Obviously, all of those new uh, Norwegian routes. Um, you know, guess who competes either directly in some cases or, or at least indirectly. In uh, in many of those uh, those markets, uh, cargo, by the way, um, still declining for Virgin. Um, so so it has not yet turned the corner in that. Some airlines you know, kind of see that leveling off, and so uh, so yeah, it's it's uh, you know there are some areas of strength. Virgin Holidays uh, still doing very well. Um, uh, has become an an ever increasing uh, increasingly important part of, of 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 Virgin's business. But yeah, no, this is this is not going to be the year. From from what it indicates that it uh, starts reporting reporting giant profits. Also reporting earnings recently was Hong Kong's Cathay Pacific. That airline announced its first annual loss since 2008. Uh, they are suffering from a waning cargo business and a lot more. Seth, can Cathay right the ship? Yeah, uh, really one of only uh, a couple of of, of giant airlines uh, to report uh, operating loss. In their case of uh, nearly one percent. Uh, uh, just kind of looking over the list here. Yeah, Turkish is really the only other in terms of giant airlines, you know, to report a loss. And in Turkish's case, you can kind of understand, I mean, you know, what, what's 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 happened to inbound traffic there. It, it's it's pretty tough to to be in the black in in that situation. With Cathay, um, it, it's uh, I mean, look, of course we can we can talk about why it's in its situation. That's 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 the point of this podcast. But um, but it's it's not something like that. You know, it's not it's not like what what uh, Turkish is facing. And in fact, um, you know, some of the other airlines in the broader region um are still managing. Um, you know, Singapore Airlines for one, which competes. Uh, I mean, it's not next door, but but it competes for some of the same global traffic flows. It's one that was struggling, and and uh, you know, it it reported what a a five percent operating margin for for 2016. Um, so whereas it seems to have perhaps turn the corner, maybe its its worst days are behind it. Yeah, Cathay con- doing considerably worse uh, than most of those. Um, so yeah, in terms of what's wrong, um, look, cargo. You mentioned it, uh, Jason. 
you know, continuing to deteriorate. Passenger revenues down nine percent. Um, the, the the it's big sort of premium business travel markets. You know, New York, London, both of them uh, struggling. Uh, one one structural issue that is just you know never where things are just never going to be as good as they once were is uh, you know to go between Taiwan and mainland China. It used to be um, you connected in Hong Kong. That's how you got there. There, there uh, you know, at one point was basically no service, and then they, uh, you know, started making exceptions. And now, um, in all the big markets, you can, you can, uh, you can fly nonstop. You know, you know, fly from Taipei to Beijing, just you know, book a ticket. Um, and uh, and 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 so that's very different. Um, and that has uh, um, that has you know significantly impacted uh, Cathay Pacific in the same way. You know, uh, in the same way, well, for that matter, mainland Chinese carriers overflying Hong Kong as they expand intercontinentally. You know, every every time one of the mainland mainland Chinese airlines starts flying to you know Australia or New Zealand nonstop, well, those are people who aren't going to be connecting in uh, in Hong Kong anymore. Um, and uh, and it has currency issues too. And so in in its case, um, the Hong Kong dollar is tied to the U.S. dollar. So you think, okay, great. So it's, so it's trading in U.S. dollars. Uh, you know, which which should be helpful in terms of uh, cost. But the problem is that uh, about half its revenues do come from currencies other than U.S. dollars or, or dollar equivalents, Hong Kong dollars. Um, so even though yes, technically, okay, great, it trades in dollars. Um, kind of like the Arabian Gulf carriers, you know, if you're, you know, okay, great. Um, in some cases, trading technically in currencies that are they're pegged to the dollar, but um, it's not just what your technical home currency is. It's you know where are you selling your airline tickets, and if you're selling them in, to people who uh, who have much lower spending power than they once did, then you know basically that's that's uh, that's where your revenue is, and for them that is uh, at least half their revenue. So they. Uh, um, they are suffering, uh, you know. Not to mention that Hong Kong has become less affordable as an inbound market um, for for that uh, for that same reason. Because uh, uh, you know, people coming from places where currencies have weakened um, can can less afford it now. Uh, and and then just the capacity and competitive situation. You know, competitors everywhere around, and competitors locally. Hong Kong Airlines, HK Express, um, doing all kinds of new flying. So uh, yeah, no, it, it's it's uh, it's a tougher world for Cathay. Um, in some cases, perhaps permanently so, for the moment at least. You know, no, no, uh, no clear signs of it uh, of it uh, turning the corner. And on that happy note, we'll end the show. <laughs> Episode number seventy for Seth Kaplan. I'm Jason Cottrell. Thanks for stopping by the Airline Weekly Lounge. This podcast has been sponsored by the book Glory Lost and Found: How Delta Climbed from Despair to Dominance in the Post 9/11 Era. 